Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We're joined today by top producer David Huffman from Huffman Living, part of the Blackwood team in Little Rock, Arkansas. David has spent the last decade building a proven track record of success in the real estate market. From single-family homes in Arkansas to multi-million dollar estates, he's helped hundreds of clients achieve their objectives in challenging markets during the most difficult times in recent memory. His strong record is a testament to both the traditional and original strategies he brings to today's market. Now, let's welcome David to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. David, welcome to the call. I sincerely appreciate you being my co-host today. I'm looking forward to asking you a whole bunch of questions, um, and I'm sure our listeners are anxiously awaiting the answers. So first of all, thanks for your time today. I sincerely appreciate it. Absolutely, man. I appreciate the time to come and hopefully uh, share a few things that can help out my uh, fellow real estate agents. Yeah, exactly. You know, you and I were just talking prior to the radio show, and we were just, you know, you and I have basically been exchanging emails with ideas of what to focus on. And you brought up something really interesting. We did a whole radio show on this a couple weeks ago, and it was actually, it's great that you brought this up, David, because it was really a very well-received radio show. And the essence of the show is basically how to negotiate in a multiple offer situation, how to essentially get your buyer's offer accepted. And I know that's something that you have a great deal of expertise on. So even though this wasn't one of the questions we talked about uh, using on today's show, I think that would be a killer way to start the show today. So what are your suggestions when in, in a very competitive situation where obviously there's lots of buyers that are making offers on properties you know, there's a lot of techniques and going over asking price isn't always the answer. So what do you suggest that agents do? It amazes me when I receive an offer from somebody and they don't even text me or email me or call me to let me know that I even have an offer in. Um, They don't seem to take the time to find out what's going on with my seller. And a lot of the times, if you'll take a little bit of time to actually call the other agent on the other side of the transaction, and learn a little bit more about their client. And not all the time is it about money or the price. Uh, a lot of us are in sellers' markets, so a lot of us are negotiating how much above a um, appraisal price uh, that they're willing to take for the property. Um, so my first suggestion is communication with the other agent to find out and learn more about their client to find out what other things you can do other than price to be able to try to help uh, get the deal done. That seems like common sense, as you said, and I'm sure you were thinking it as you were saying it too, that you'd want to you know, basically uh, get to know the listing agent if you don't already know them, trying to understand the, uh, really how your offer has to be presented, sort of doing a, having a frank, informal conversation. Maybe the listing agent will coach you on how the offer needs to look. All those types of things happen when you, you, you suggested. So what types of things would an agent ask? What types of things other than, like you said, going over, uh, you know, basically going over list price, what other variables do you think that an agent needs to be aware of in order to get their offer accepted in a market like this one? Ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. Um, the more you know, the more you can kind of build a, a profile of that opposite client to find out kind of what's going on. Um, I think that 
you know, a lot of the times, you know, when we look at 100% of communication, if we were to kind of break that down into, you know, like text or tone of voice or in the body language, only 10% of that is really text and email. Um, it, but if you get on the phone with somebody, generally they'll say you can add about another 30% in effective communication just by your tone of voice. But 60% of that is all about body language. So one of the key things is maybe one of two things. One is maybe presenting that offer in person to that other agent. Um, that's kind of old school. But that's kind of going back to the basics. Um, but that could be a, an effective way to communicate with uh, the opposite party. Um, the other side I would say is um, if they have whatever problem that they're having, you know, obviously trying to overcome that. Well, so that's interesting. You should said you said presenting the the offer, but another thing they could do hypothetically is they could literally request to present the offer directly to the seller, right? I mean, that's how it happens. And still, actually, in a lot of the, as you know, David, a lot of the really upper end areas in the country, it's not unusual at all for the buyer's agent to request to present the offer directly to the uh, seller. Obviously, the listing agent is going to be present too, and it all depends on the dynamic, the relationship you have with that listing agent, or and the uh, you know whether the seller wants to have a presentation like that. What other types of things and questions, like variables, do you think would be like? Let's give them like three or four things. Let's drill down on this. When you're trying to get your offers accepted in a competitive situation, David, what would be the three or four things? or more or less, that they should definitely be focusing on to make their offer look better in the eyes of the seller? What questions should they be asking the listing agent to know how to present their offer in a favorable light? Absolutely. I think number one is um, the time frame. What time frame does their seller need to have in order to be able to move into the next place, um, whether they have a, a quick place to go so a quick close is, is really good for them, or if they need a little time and the buyer is willing to give them that time in order to, uh, to move from that point. Um, obviously, price comes into place with that as well um, as far as making sure and asking that, uh, that listing agent, what is it going to take to get this deal done? doesn't mean they're always going to tell you, but it doesn't hurt to ask um, to kind of find out uh, what their thoughts are and their viewpoints. A lot of the times, agents aren't that great of negotiators, and a lot of times if you'll just ask them questions, they will um, come back and, and, and tell you things maybe they shouldn't tell you. But again, you represent your client, and you're doing what's best, uh, you know, for your clients. Um, exactly. Thing, uh, Sorry, go ahead. One other thing that I've seen people that may not um, – sometimes the listing agent won't take the time to maybe meet with the buyer's agent. So in those cases, I love to ask my buyers to write a little bit of a letter, a one-page letter, and just kind of explain their situation. Here's who I am. This is what I'm looking for. I've got a 3-year-old kid and 7-year-old. I really want to be in your schools. And just kind of paint that picture of who they are, what they're up against. Maybe they've, you know, sent out three or four other offers. They've all been declined. And maybe they just kind of happen to, 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 to mention that. Um, pull up those heartstrings a little bit and present that with your offer in hopes that listing agent will share that with their seller. And that way it kind of gets to know them a little bit, a little bit better. People like to do business with people that they know and that they like. Well, so going back, thank you for that. And going back to what you just said about 60% of basic you know, communication uh, happens when you're face-to-face -face with someone. You can read their body language. You can do all that type of stuff. But one of the other things, and David, you know this, that we suggest all of our coaching clients do in that situation is, yes, the letter is a great idea, but also make a video. So make a video Absolutely. and ask that to be submitted with the offer, yeah. And there's tons of ways to do it. You know, you could just do an e you know, a camera phone and email it with the offer. You know, do an attachment to the, if it's a digital contract, whatever. But 
sellers are going to want to see that. And to be honest, if you think about it from the listing agent's perspective, if there's a multiple offer situation and one of these offers, let's assume that, you know, you all, you said something interesting. Not always is price the most important thing. Sometimes it's closing. Sometimes it's possession. Sometimes it's, you know, whatever. And these are all, again, questions you need to be getting answered, hopefully, from the listing agent. But all that submitted, assuming the offers are all more or less the same, a little video or certainly a nice letter is going to be all it takes oftentimes to get the um, the offer accepted. I've also seen, uh, this is not something I've seen widespread happening, but we've certainly seen this happening in California in certain markets, um, and you've got to make sure you're doing this legally, just putting it all out there, is that the seller will get a signing bonus for negotiating your offer first. So it could be some small amount of money, it could be a gift certificate, it could be whatever, but some kind of incentive for your offer to basically be considered first. And whatever it takes is what your job is as an agent to do what's best for your, your buyers. Um, the appraisal problem is a strong you know, is is a strange issue that you guys are going to have to overcome. So, David, if they are in a situation where they're getting financing and they have to pay over asking price, but these people aren't all cash, how does the buyer's agent work their way out of that? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, obviously, in, in a lot of those, a lot of our markets, that's happening, um, and that makes it more difficult and more challenging. And again, I think that really goes back to it's not always about money. Um, you've got to really Structure your deal that best represents your client, but still gives the seller um, something to win on that on that deal as well. Um, you know, I, I do something kind of weird a lot of the times is when I'm going through a property, I'm always looking to see, like, what type of individual they are. Um, military people love to do business with military people. I mean, that's just kind of part of it. You kind of see a likeness, and you try to build that rapport and try to – stick with those types of conversations, uh, maybe in that letter or in that video that you suggested, et cetera, uh, to help your offer a little bit more. But unfortunately, in today's market, they are having to come up with, um, you know, a lot of, you know, cash over the appraisal price. Yeah, that's it. So you guys basically have to make sure your buyers have the ability to essentially cover the difference between what the house should realistically be appraised for and what they're having to pay. Um, what was it, last week, I think I shared on the radio, maybe two weeks ago, one of um, our clients up in Michigan, you know, of all places, and I say that um, because Julie and I are from Ohio, so they're similar markets, but even in his market, they're going hundred, like a hundred grand over asking price, and so if the house is worth, you know, 300 and the house is basically has to be sold for 400 because of the nature of the market, that buyer's going to have to not only come up with their normal down payment, whatever that is, but they're also going to have to be able to come up with enough money to cover the over-asking. You know, they're going to have to cover the difference between what it will appraise for and you know what the mortgage amount is. You guys on the buyer agent side, you're really going to have to be very, depending on your market, you're going to be very, very, very good at pre-qualifying your buyers and making sure your lender's doing the same thing. It's not enough in some markets for the buyer to be able to be qualified per mortgage standards. They're also going to have to know how to or have the ability to come up with additional money to cover the spread between, you know, the hypothetical purchase price and their mortgage amount and what they have to pay over asking. Um, now, this, is, <laughs> this, this whole conversation leads me back to the reason why you absolutely positively should be building your real estate practice around being a listing agent. So, David, I know this is something that you know, essentially, being a listing agent is really where uh, I, I think sanity truly enters into your real estate practice. Is that something you knew right out of the gates, or did you have to learn that over time? Um, I would say I, I would say more over time. When I first got in the business, I became a buyer's agent for a top producing agent um, in Texas, actually. And um, 
yeah, they will they will run you around. That's for sure. Um, I still take buyers and sales market by referral only. Um, my clients, my prospecting, my lead generation is centered upon sellers. Um, it's a, definitely a lot easier for systems and processes in what it takes in today's market to get a home sold to manage on a daily basis and uh, and, and, and still keep alive. So, I mean, buyers obviously you know are never um, a done deal until you, they actually close. There's just so many variables to go along with, with buyers. Well, since we're talking with, about buyers, let's just one little thing. I know also this is something I hear a lot from um, our coaches that are they're dealing with with their clients. Um, buyers' remorse is becoming a huge problem because these buyers are feeling pressured to write offers fast and write offers for over asking price, and then they go through the whole buyers' remorse process, which is frankly perfectly understandable. How do you work your buyers through a the you know when they're starting to go down that road? What, what's the conversation you have with the buyers that are starting to feel remorse? Yeah, I think that really starts from the very beginning of them becoming a uh, from from going from a customer to a client. Once they've entered into that agreement with you and they have chosen you as their agent, that really is a hard to heart conversation that needs to be explained to them. Hey, this is what I'm seeing going on. This is kind of what to expect, and this is probably how you're going to feel down the road. But in today's market, this is just how it is, given this, that we're in a seller's market. I think a lot of that has to be done more on the upfront than ladder in the transaction to kind of help them with that. But no doubt, I think buyers definitely are going through that around the country that I'm seeing with clients. Um, and so well, you just got to kind of go ahead. You know, that's that's true. That is a huge problem. And you, so this is an idea that um, it's been around for a long time. A lot of our, uh, you know, long-term uh, veteran Real estate coaching clients will have heard of this idea, but it's clever and it's time that we bring it back. So we're going to announce it on today's radio show. You can go, this is the idea. So just as David just said, you're setting the expectation up ahead of time, the nature of the market, and you're sort of foreshadowing the emotions that they might be experiencing as far as buyer's remorse, things of that nature, feeling pressure, not necessarily feeling like they have enough time to make decisions like they, like, like they want to. Analytical types, guys spreadsheet type people, they're going to be the ones that are going to be the most antsy about the nature of a lot of the markets because they're going to hate the pressure. Analytical people and amiable people, we've talked about DISC on this radio show a number of times. Just go back and listen to our past radio shows, realestatecoachingradio.com is where they all live. Anyway, listen to that because those two personality types are the ones that are going to be the least um, welcoming of the, nature, uh, of the pressures that this market brings. So here's the concept. In the initial consulting counseling process that we teach all of our coaching clients how to do as part of the, you know, when you're working with buyers, right? Listing age, sellers get listing presentations, buyers get buyer presentations. When you meet with the seller, your goal is to listing, get the listing contract signed. When you meet with a buyer, initially, your goal is to get the buyer's agency contract signed where they're obligated to work with you exclusively, right? That's just the smartest way to do business. Then, you, you have a presentation, you're walking them through the process. If they've been through it before, buying a house before, then they'll know the process. But you can just kind of review. If you want to go work at, look, talk with builders, make sure you, you know, bring my cards, make sure you let them know you're working with me. If you're calling a for sale by owner, just give me the phone number and I'll call for you. So this is all part of our buyer's presentation, coaching clients, making sure you're using it. Make sure you are using it, rather. And then give them a small uh, like the, the when you go to the doctor and you get a, a prescription for some pills, and you, these pills come in a little, you know, sort of weird yellow orange. You guys can you've seen these before. And then what you do is you fill it full of M and M's, and then you get a printing label and you put on the outside you write buyer's remorse pills. 
So as almost a joke, or at least uh, letting them know that it's normal for them to feel that emotion, tell them that uh, if they feel any buyer's remorse, after you're able to you know, successfully negotiate a contract with them and they're in contract on a house, just tell them to take these pills. And at that point, what happens is, is they'll laugh and you break that tension. That way, after you have them in contract on something, they're not going to – that uh, in a lot of cases – just the very fact that you let them know that that emotion would probably be they'd probably be experiencing an after in contract that alleviates the pressure and it makes it kind of fun and then they laugh at themselves and that right there is the turning of how you go from just an average agent to a top agent so let's talk about on the listing agent side from a seller's perspective when they're receiving multiple offers um, that's another constant issue that obviously a lot of our agents are having and normally the agents if they're writing their own offers obviously you know, they're trying to, you know, maybe steer the buyer, if it's best for the seller, they're trying to steer the seller towards those offers. But other than that, how do you uh, counsel a seller on which contracts to negotiate and which not to con uh, contracts nego uh, to negotiate? Because sellers are now being too greedy and over-negotiating, another big problem we hear from our coaching clients. Any advice on that, David? Sure. I think, again, it comes to setting the excitation up front with the seller as to what their goal is to their net number. Um, obviously, we know sellers and buyers are both very emotional uh, people and uh, going through an emotional stage, and so we're trying to keep it transactional. And so on the seller's part, I definitely just try to keep them focused on their net number. And if we're getting to the point where we're getting too crazy with uh, the multiple offer scenario and them just trying to you know, go higher and higher and higher and getting it a little bit more difficult, um, I try to reel them back into that net number and say, hey, look, we, we've attained what we were looking at. This is what we wanted to get originally. And, you know, these are the two or three offers that we're at at this point that um, get us our goal. Um, and then we kind of look at the structure of those deals and then figure out the best decision from that point. But it can be a very stressful time for a seller and a very greedy time for a seller, like you said. I like that. That's good. You're always focusing them back in on what the bottom line is as far as the check that they're going to receive at closing. And that conversation happens at the time of, you know, when they'll you know, basically at the time of listing. And then as they, if they start feeling like they basically are, you know, Willy Wonka, you know, they just got their golden ticket because they received a bunch of offers. You just reel them back in and have them focus on that. Yeah, that's a good right. idea. So, so let's talk about let's talk about lead generation. Let's talk about listing lead generation. Um, what are the things that you that are working and what are the things that aren't or maybe were be, say a year ago that aren't working as well now for listing lead generation sure in today's market i think you know expireds are definitely um a great market for somebody that's not currently in the expired market and calling expireds on a daily basis um we're a lot of agents unfortunately without the training from you know tim and julie over the years may not have that right price to be able to get and attract those offers. And so, you know, our, our listeners can come in and know how to actually price that particular listing to attract offers and, and get those deals, um, get those deals done. Um, so I think definitely calling expired would be my top uh, um, suggestion for, uh, for, you know, getting more listings. Well, that's always ours, right? I mean, the expireds and the for sale by owners and the centers of influence and past clients. So there's all those basic things and the, because really guys, the number one reason is, um, frankly, they don't cost anything. You know, you can generate leads off those. And in most markets, you know, David, that's another thing that's kind of interesting, right? In most of the country where it's just this crazy hot seller's market, there might not be hundreds of expireds, but there's still, you know, dozens every month. 
And I think agents sometimes, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, agents think like listings that expire are somehow like tainted milk. Um, it's kind of a mindset. So, you know, this seems like a basic question, but it's interesting. Why do listings expire? Oh, that's a good question, Jim. Um, I'd say presentation. Um, presentation and price are probably my two top, top deals. And I say presentation because in today's market, uh, the new curb appeal is online appeal. And so if you're not looking really good online, you're not going to attract phone calls either to you, the listing agent, or to you know their buyer's agent, their, their particular realtor, and helping them. So you've got to look right um, online. Um, that's you know updated photos, wide angle lens, um, a little bit of photo editing, uh, nothing too crazy, but you know they, they've got to look light, bright and clean, and, and ready to move in on those on those photos. Um, pricing, obviously, I'm sure you know we've always talked about the pricing as far as on homes that you don't want to be overpriced or underpriced, but price just right there in the middle to be able to attract at least attract an offer. Um, so I would say those are the two two things that I'm seeing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the traditional conversations, price, condition, and location, but you are right, and I love what you said. You know, the new curb appeal is online appeal. That's really great because it's so true, and people are so conditioned to buying things or at least having an instant satisfaction of that buy now button. That does translate into real estate, and if you do have, you know, to answer my own question, it's what he said, right, how it looks, how it's priced, but also, oddly enough, guys, and this will, you'll experience this, Coaching clients listen because this is absolutely positively true. A lot of times when you list an expired, just the very fact that it uh, appears again as a new listing, you all of a sudden will have that thing sell for you in like uh, seconds just because the MLS number was old, just because the days in the market was protracted, just because um, other agents and other buyers had just assumed, well, it's been on the market for however long, two weeks, a month. It must be you know, spoiled eggs. I'm not going to go look at it. That's how people's. That's how the psychology works. And really, guys, in a lot of ways, that's how the technology works. Because when you get those new updates, when your buyers get those new reports about you know new listings, well, guess what? It's only a new listing once, and after that, it's an old listing, and no one really pays much attention to an old listing. You know, it used to be, and I know this is the case in some MLSs. You could actually, while it was listed with you, you could pull it out of the MLS, um, say when it got to be 30 days old, and put it back in and have it show us a new days on the market. Now, most part of the country can't do that anymore, but if you can, if you do have the ability to do that, you should. Your job is to get the best price in terms of your seller, and you guys know that, generally speaking, in most markets, you always get the best buyers and best activities when the listing is new. So keep all those things in mind. Um, So, David, let's talk about something that's a little bit more, I think, (laughs) touchy-feely. Life balance, work, life balance, work balance. How is how do you is that a conversation you have with yourself, uh, trying to keep things in balance, or do you think it's just kind of a lofty goal? <laughs> um, well, I can say mine has changed a lot. Um, I can say for the first probably five to seven years that I was in the business, um, I really didn't have a life. It was it was definitely all work. Um, it it took a coach to teach me and to train me to coach me to understand the value of a personal life outside of work. So I think I've gotten a little bit better at that. I'm not perfect by any stretch. Um, I still take phone calls seven, eight o'clock at night from my clients, et cetera. But um, you know, I, you definitely have to take care of yourself um, and almost schedule in your must-haves for that week, and then build in your um, work schedule on top of that to make sure you keep doing your income-producing activities on a on a weekly, daily basis. Do you think um, this is a conversation we have a lot with folks? 
they're asking always, you know, when they're thinking about hiring a coach, you know, what is it that a coach actually brings to my, my life and my business? And, you know, the answers are sometimes not what they want to hear, but the first answer, the, the, really the most obvious one, is regular accountability. The lack of regular accountability um, from an external third party in a normal world where you aren't an entrepreneur working for yourself, that would be from your boss or from your manager or from your whatever, right? But as individual, you know, as, as independent contractors, as lone wolves out there, even if we're working as part of a team, at the end of the day, um, you are only really accountable to yourself. So how much does accountability, someone holding you accountable to the goals that you state for yourself, how important is that nowadays? Yeah, whether you're working for an independent brokerage or a, you know a larger franchise, those broker owners are there to basically you know represent the real estate commission and um, to kind of help with the paperwork and the operational side of it. They're really not a an accountability partner as you would think, like you had just said. Um, they're not necessarily a manager role you would have in a normal nine to five job. Um, so having that accountability partner there or that kind of big brother to sit there to be able to send an email to and ask a question. Um, or, you know, hey, what should I do in this scenario or should I spend money on this part of it um, really did personally help me as a coach because, one, it helped me understand when I was being coached how, why I was doing what I was doing and how I could even do it better. And some of the times I got so involved in transactions and business and development that I, I, it's almost like overwhelming. Um, so it, it helped me understand and put a little bit more of an understanding of what it was that I was doing on a daily basis and gave me some sense of satisfaction uh, and completion. Why do you think, thank you for that, why do you think that in this industry um, there's so much information out there that has absolutely nothing to do with agents helping other people and making money? Why is it that so much of our industry is so fascinated with doing non-productive stuff, spending their time doing non-productive activities throughout the day? Help me understand. That's a great question, Tim. I mean, there's so many things we can do. I, I, I jokingly tell people that I could work a year as a real estate agent and not make a dollar. If I never converted people from customers to clients, I would never make a dollar. And um, that's very, I mean, everybody loves real estate. Who hasn't thought about becoming a real estate agent in their life? Um, it's just kind of part of our um, part of our demographics, I guess. But you know, bottom line is you've got to stay focused on clients, converting customers to clients. You can prospect all day long. You can go show property all day long. You can do CMAs all day long. But bottom line is if you're not converting them from a customer to client, you're, you're not going to be productive and last long in this business. I agree 100%. I mean, basically you're talking about lead follow-up. You're talking about knowing what questions to ask. You're talking about, you know, all that good stuff. That's really important. You know, people complain. Agents always say, and I'm not in disagreement with about this, but they always say, well, my biggest problem is lack of leads. Well, if you don't have the ability to convert that customer to client, like David just said, it's not lack of leads that your problem is. It's just basically having an organized, scripted approach to essentially, you know, making them into clients. And if you don't ask those tough questions, um, you know, if you don't ask them in the right order, you will waste a lot of your time and you will burn yourself out and you will not make money. That's, guys, if there's ever, even though, you know, we help a lot of you build teams, you delegate a lot of stuff, the last thing that you should delegate, if you ever delegate it at all, well, there's two things. Going on listing appointments, you can't eventually delegate that, but really, for the most part, most of you never should. But the other thing is, is honestly, is the, the pre-qualification stuff. 
that is so hard to delegate uh, at a high level. You might get lucky and have someone that works uh, 50% of the time at the same level of efficiency as you are of, of delegating. But lead following up, you know, calling people back immediately, what we call furiously fast lead follow-up, and asking all the tough questions, following our scripts, uh, coaching students, it's, we've already done it all for you. Just read the questions in the order in which we've written them. Use the actual script to write the answers down of the prospects. You know, if we've essentially done all the, all the heavy lifting for you. Our scripts are copyrighted. You don't have to worry about anybody, you know, asking the same types of questions. We've designed all of our scripts to root out the sellers because we want you guys to be focused primarily on being listing agents. Just follow the process that we've laid out for you. And like David said, spend a vast majority of your time, if not all your time, on lead generation, pre-qualifying, setting appointments. If you just do that, guys, and you then delegate all the other stuff, there's really no limits um, to how much money and how many people you can help. So that's what's really exciting. So, David, we got to round the bend here. Anything else you'd like to say to the potentially up to 100,000 listeners of today's show before we sign off for today? Uh, absolutely, man. I enjoy this business and uh, definitely enjoy um, listening to Tim and uh, Julie Harris over the course of the last several years and I'm excited to be a coach with them and uh, if you're whether you're a small brokerage owner or an independent agent trying to grow a team um, I'd love to be able to help you out any way that I can excellent so Mr. David Huffman thank you very much for being my co-host today thank you very much for being a great coach here at our coaching organization and the rest of you here's your homework very simple homework as I assigned from virtually every other radio show um, number one if you have not yet had your free coaching call Definitely grab that at freecoachingcallsforagents.com, freecoachingcallsforagents.com. This is not a Flaberti gibbet free coaching call. The coaching call will last between 30 and 90 minutes, so make sure you're setting aside the time uh, necessary for you to get the most out of it. That's number one. Number two, we always want to thank our sponsors. Our preeminent sponsor is mojocells.com. Whether you become a coaching client or not, uh, you definitely want to have mojocells.com as part of your uh, business, the businesses, uh, services that you subscribe to, fantastic company all around, and also to 1-800-HOME-HOTLINE.COM. So in the meantime, David, I really appreciate your time today, and everyone else have a fantastic day. This week is basically wall-to-wall interviews. So if you like today's interview, we're interviewing a lot of other top-producing agents, and we're also interviewing a few wildcards, people that you definitely want to tune in to listen to. Listen to past radio shows at Real Estate Coaching Radio. And in the meantime, David, thank you for being my co-host today. And everyone else, have a fantastic day, and we'll talk to you on the radio tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.